it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Screen Talk is brought to you by Fire at Sea from Cinema Made in Italy. Boy, is this movie great. One of the only documentaries to ever win the top award at the Berlin International Film Festival, Fire at Sea takes place in Lampedusa, a once peaceful Mediterranean island that has become a major entry point for refugees into Europe. An Academy Award and Cesar Award nominee for Documentary Feature, winner of the IDA Documentary Award for Best Cinematography, the London Film Critics Circle Award for Documentary of the Year, and the European Film Award for Best Documentary, filmmaker John Franco Rossi's remarkable film, which documents the quiet urgency, the dangerous journey, and thousands of people who are fleeing Europe in the Middle East, has been hailed by Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian as a masterly and moving look at the migrant crisis. Beautiful and mysterious, a neorealist classic. On NPR, John Powers noted the film was ravishingly shot. Even as Fire at Sea moves us with the refugees' vulnerability, it shows how their tragedies become normalized. It's been so folded into the routine of life in Lampedusa that folks scarcely notice it. Fire at Sea, a film by John Franco Rossi. Okay, welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic Joined, as always, from Ann Thompson out in Los Angeles, where I believe Santa Barbara. Wherever you are, I'm sure it's a little bit warmer than uh, the heap of snow that I'm recording from in, in Brooklyn right Aww, now. We poor just, Eric, you're just, back at Sunday. I know. It's like deja vu. Just when you think you got through it, the only difference is that there isn't a good excuse to be in this situation. I'm just at my house. I don't have any movies that I have to dart out to or anything like that. So, you know, it's interesting kind of. Turn in. Exactly. It's just when you think you're out of it. But, uh, hey, I can't complain too much. It's an interesting time of the year. It's two weeks before the Oscars. We're out of Sundance. I sent somebody else to Berlin. So, you know, it's it's not a uh, not a busy time, but it's it's still... Uh, well, it's, it's the time still... when a lot of the movies coming out are really bad, right. is it's, what it it's, is. It's, it's a right? dumping I'm ground sort of season. I'm not going to the, to the mainstream <laughs> movies. I Thank God. I missed that Gore Ber- Berbinsky movie. Did Care you see for that Walnuts? one? I didn't see it. I am curious about it. I mean, just based on how crazy it sounds. I mean, I, I would say it's not... It's not necessarily even fair to say it's a time for bad movies. It's a weird time in which bad movies could be coming out or movies that don't have a natural place in the market just right. wind up getting dumped it's a into dumping the market. ground, usually. Yeah, you never really know what you're going to get. And we could talk about that a little bit more towards the end. But I think right now we should get into awards mode because it is that interesting time where... You know, the, there's not a ton going on, and yet there's still little things happening. I'll tell you what time happening. it is. It's time to be bored by the Oscars. <laughs> You're sick so of spelling done. people's names I right. I am and... so over it. I am so not interested in it at this point. And it's like, do I care who's going to win? Do I care oh, well, about on. reading another you do. article about you know that You know that's going to happen eventually, but, I mean, it's a pretty good year. I'm never going to get sick of saying that, hey, Moonlight is a really great movie that's or something Wire, like that. And Chris O'Fault wrote a nice piece about how a $1.5 million movie got eight nominations by making the crafts 
the the strong point of a little tiny movie. And I think that is a huge model for people to pay attention to. No, no doubt. I mean, it, this is not a year for studio movies to pat themselves on the back. It's a year in which movies that are made on a certain scale that are have been made with a relative amount of autonomy to are actually crossing over. And it, even though it doesn't seem that radical when you really look at it. I mean, I got excited when Boyhood broke through, but that was from a veteran filmmaker to see directors at younger stages of their careers be doing, going through these motions. is an equivalent. Yeah, that was another time. Yeah, absolutely. La La Land is a follow-up to that or Beasts of the Southern Wild. These are are all movies that managed to pull this off. And yet this experience, this award season experience and the kind of narrative that we follow, it, it has an effect on them. You see them getting wearier. As I was looking at your photos from the Oscar luncheon, you know, as cool as it was to see Barry Jenkins uh, you know, standing next to Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. But at the same time, it was like I could see the fatigue on his face where it's like, on the one hand, yeah, this is surreal and amazing. On the other hand, like, when was the last time this guy just, like, sat down and was able to, like, think about stuff in a normal human way? Well, I was sort of... Well, let's talk about the Oscar lunch. The Oscar lunch never, never gets tired. Um, You know, I, I I am entirely enchanted every year by that by that experience because you just go into this room and everybody's mulling around and, and, and milling around and, and, you know, you get to say hi to, to people like, you know, Rob Legato, the VFX guy who's going to win for the jungle book who made Titanic, who made, you know, who worked with James Cameron on, on avatar and stuff like that. You know, these people are, he, he worked on Hugo, you know, these people are, you know, super, Supreme craftspeople. I got to meet the the director of Land of Mine. You know the director of uh, a man called Uva. You know I got. Right. To see these are those that. are the kind of people who are like, what are we doing here, right? They, no, they're they, like... they were grinning from ear to ear, and, right. and it was fun. It was yeah, exactly. It was fun to see to see Raoul Peck talking to Ezra Edelman. You know the two of them were were really you know friendly with each other, and and Isabelle Huppert came in, and she was you know. She had to go to New York to do Stephen Colbert, and then she had to come back to uh, L.A. so that she could go to Santa Barbara to do the thing I did with her last night in Santa Barbara, you know, and then she's going back to Paris tomorrow. I mean, I don't know how these people do it. But haven't seen them all in there. I mean, it wasn't all of them, but it seemed like it was. They got it a was pretty amazing. Sixty-three people, pretty close, <laughs> all lined up on the dais. It is. A, I love it because it's a. It's a. It's a picture that they take every year, but it's also a picture of the best and brightest in the industry at that particular moment in time. You know, all ranging from the short filmmakers to the foreign filmmakers to the docs to the, you know, all the sound. I sat next to the guy who was the sound mixer on Arrival. You know, it's you know, it's fun. Well, if it was really the best and brightest, they'd also include some of the snubs. Like, just you know, give Pablo Lorraine a seat at the at the luncheon just time. for the hell of it. Give him time. <laughs> hey, he's been nominated before. He's probably done the photo before for no. But I but I just think it's kind of interesting. It's like it's a snapshot of the industry that made the cut, you know, this time around. So That's the you, point. it's like fingers yeah. crossed that it that it winds up being a good representation of the talent that's out there. And this seems like one of those years, you know. Well, and, it was a little more. I mean, it, of course, there were more white people than anything else, but it did seem a little more um, uh, diverse. I have to say. You know, that, it that's really the, in the narrative of the year. We keep coming yeah. back to that. And then yeah. this is a time where you actually get to see that visually. So Exactly. So exactly. that's that's good to see. So so you mentioned this, but uh, Huppert comes to New York 
Desert Colbert thing and then pops over to Santa Barbara where she sat down with you and you guys had a nice lengthy chat, which, you know, for her probably just felt like business as usual, but I'm sure it was very exciting for you to sit down with I her. I actually got a big kick out of it. I, I really admire her. I realized that, you know, I, I first saw her movie, uh, The Lace Maker in 1977, and I kind of grew up with her, you know, I, I remember her in in Heaven's Gate and that whole crazy mm-hmm. Michigas that went on with with that movie, and and she talked about that, and she talked about working with Claude Chabrol on seven movies, and and she worked with Michael Haneke on quite a few, um, and you know we talked about Amour, and we talked about the Piano Teacher, which I looked at again, and I was just that that movie is my favorite. I mean, she's it's just such a sick movie. <laughs> <laughs> She gets away with a lot. So great in it. Yeah. Well, she's got this sort of like, there's a devilish quality, but it also elegance, which you don't usually see that kind of balance pulled off by a lot of performances. And and it's consistent in a lot of her roles, which I think is why Elle is so well suited for her and why she in some ways saves that movie from being something that totally does. There's no question. Even Verhoeven just hands it to her. He says that it couldn't have been made without her and she made the movie what it was. And if you look through all of her films from the very beginning that I was struck by Lulu, uh, which I looked at again, it, she she has this quality of being very small and diminutive and, and dainty and, as you say, and, and, and um, you know, beautiful and, and sexy and in, uninhibited um, from the very, very beginning, but she also has a certain strength. There was this silly movie. They had a clip from Rosebud, this Otto Preminger movie that she did with Peter O'Toole that was set on the Riviera. She's so young. And even in the clip from that movie, she sort of stands up to, to, to Peter O'Toole, you know, she doesn't let the guy run over her. And, right. and that's, that's true of all her movies. I mean, you could tell Even there's a kind of run over in Madame Bovary. She puts up a good fight. There's know? a kind of ethos guiding these things. Even if she's, you know, coy about addressing questions involving, you know, working with different kinds of filmmakers and being a powerful woman on screen and all that kind of stuff, you could tell that the, there's something about the kind of career decision she's been making that's very much ahead of its time and has been consistently kind of pushing for a different kind of female presence in, in international cinema than, you know, the roles that would probably just come to her if she was totally complacent about it. I also think, honestly, that women in in France, you know, the, the, the great French actresses, they get a better range of movies to work with. They just do. Um, you know, she's been, and, and Isabelle Fair especially has just been able to work with the top, top echelons of filmmakers, uh, you know, across... Europe and and she's even gone and she was telling me these stories about working with with um, Hong San Su you know oh yeah and just met him on the jury at Cannes right I remember and, there on the jury and, and, and the movie just happened for, on on a nine day shoot or yeah. something was, and his movies are so fun. weird and it's just like. The amazing thing about that was everybody thought when that movie was in competition at Cannes that it was like going to be some kind of big step up or change for him. And it was like, no, it's another Hong Sang Soo movie, weird structure. Everybody's drinking soju and it's kind of funny, kind of sad. You know, it was just like she kind of just became a part of his universe in a really cool and way. She's willing to do that. She's willing to go do whatever Jean Luc Godard, you know, is demanding of her at any right. given moment. But she did turn down. Um, Funny games. <laughs> she turned down Michael Haneke and she said that the piano teacher was a walk in the park compared to. Well, you know, funny is an interesting point, though. I mean, funny games. The, the challenge with that movie is that the good people don't really get away with it 
and so I mean, maybe there is something to be said for her decision not to be, you know, a victim in that movie because that's essentially what. I don't think the, she likes to be yeah. a victim, and that's exactly what we talked about on Things to Come and L is how she made it so that she wasn't a victim. It's it's really uh, it's really remarkable. Anyway, that was fun. I got a big kick out of it. And, and also, it's a shot at this. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, it's like the more that you talk about it, it's it just makes Emma Stone seem so small. I mean, am I well, am I missing something here? You know, she's guess, super young. You know, sometimes the gamine, the ingenue, the young actress does win, and there's such a surge of popularity for La La Land. I mean, you can feel it on the site on IndieWire. You know, that that the stories about La La Land do well. You know, yeah, People but I mean, it's sort of like it. so. Emmanuel Reaver lost to to uh, Jennifer Lawrence, but Jennifer Lawrence is such a loud like dynamic performance and, and and she had been getting there for so long I mean she had been nominated for Winner's Bone before that and it felt like that okay so that was logical even if you you know value this other performer who's been around for a long time but this doesn't feel like is she really at that level where this particular performance is the one that could catapult her to a win when she's up against somebody who has such legacy you know, and it's so widely respected and has that it's their time thing just coming out of her pores in a way. And she talked about, I, I, I think I think there is a race and I think the race is between those two. And Emma Stone has not won everything and Isabel has won quite a few things. So the race may be more even than we think. Yeah, um, and, and who knows, and then, right? I mean, that could yeah. throw off other things. Could could Natalie Portman squeeze in between the two of them? And No, no she's <laughs> not. I, I know... The, the part of it is that Natalie Portman won already for Black Swan. So that's part of why she's not farther up. And also because Jackie isn't as popular um, as these other, you know. It isn't that Elle is popular or that everybody has seen Elle. But I think everybody knows who Isabelle Huppert is, you know. It's sure. a career prize no if she doubt. wins. And as, as she well should. So th- that that's one category that will definitely be continually developing over the next two weeks, which is an insanely short period of time before the finish line arrives. But there's still a couple other unknown variables, especially in the performance categories. And this week, you dug into supporting actor and actress, both of which are, are seem like they're still kind of hard to, to figure out, wouldn't you say? Well, I would say that supporting actor is pretty clearly Mahershala Ali's at this point. I can't imagine Jeff Bridges stealing it from him, partly because, again, he won a few years ago for, like, crazy, and he's 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 been... Crazy Heart. In, Not I mean, the Drake Tariq movie. That. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be kind of funny if he was like in Like, crazy movie. mixed up. Um, so I, I feel like like it is between him and Jeff Bridges for a hugely popular movie, Hell or High Water. Um, but I, I think Mahershala Ali wins, and partly because of that I Am Muslim speech that he gave at the SAG Awards, and, and partly because people are leaning in to uh, a diverse landscape, uh, as we've discussed, but because they want Moonlight to win something, too. And he is the heart and soul of Moonlight. He is the, 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 the emotion li- lies with his character, I think. Well, it's interesting because he's not in the whole movie, but that's true. I mean, it's, it's the first performance that really pulls you. It's the first mature performance you see in the movie in a way that kind of complicates themes and things like that. But it, but it's a, it would be a surprising development of Jeff Bridges one. I also feel like the conversation around that, given the opportunity here to put him on the stage, to put Marshall on Lily on the stage at that particular I moment agree. 
would be would be moment, problematic. I couldn't agree more, and I think people are going to lean lean in that direction. And then in supporting actress, again, I think Viola Davis is just unbeatable. Um, and and I think that with the surge of popularity for hidden figures, Octavia Spencer might have had a, a, a shot at at unseating her. I mean, at the beginning, it was Michelle Williams who was in the lead, but then Viola went for supporting, and so she took over at that point. I think that because Octavia Spencer beat Viola Davis the year that they were both nominated for the help, um, she she won't beat her again. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it works like that. It's it's just an interesting twist of fate of sorts. But also, I mean, Hidden Figures is unlikely to win anything, right? I mean, it's not... Well, it's got a lot of nominations for what it is. I was surprised three, by that. It has three nominations, which isn't very many in the overall scheme. If you look at Moonlight there, you know, Moonlight has eight nominations. Um, so, so if you have three movies, Fences, Moonlight, and Hidden Figures that are sort of vying for the... To put not to put too fine a point on it, if there's a group of people in the academy who want to make a statement of some kind, those three movies are their way of making a statement, and there's only one La La Land. That's one of the reasons why La La Land will probably win, because these three other films will split up the the vote. Yeah, I mean, it would be shocking to see something like Michelle Williams also fall behind Viola Day. I mean, it's a similar kind of thing, right? I mean, it's like Fences, in the categories that it has momentum, it has serious momentum. Well, right? SAG. So both both uh, Denzel Washington and Viola Davis won SAG. But Viola's won every one, every one so far. So I think, and she even got the BAFTA in this sort of scandalous BAFTA's so white year she did get nominated, even even though uh, Denzel did not, which was sort of shocking. Um, so she, she she's I think she's gonna I think she'll win. I think we should also look at Lion and some of the reports about Harvey seeing possibilities and talking about you know this movie and how it the the immigration story dovetails into what this movie's doing. It did I think much better so far than we anticipated when it first, you it know, played was... well in Toronto. I always knew that it played well. I think what threw me off originally, perhaps you too, is that it wasn't a critic's picture. It no. wasn't a movie that got... It's okay. I, it's, it's critics okay. didn't hate it, but it's sort of like... Yeah, it's a little, it's a little bit obvious. like a crash kind of movie. Uh, that, that, it's not that it bad. Well, it's a, don't get it, out of yourself. <laughs> but that, no, I mean, Crash was a surprise. Uh, uh, you know, of all the movies that have been reviewed at that level of sort of right. in the 70s on Metacritic, which is low for a Best Picture winner. Um, that, that And that was because, it, you know, the, the steak eaters in the Academy didn't want to vote for Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, but also know, Crash that came happened. out, it was crazier because Crash came out early in the years, I recall, and they had to kind of reintroduce it to people, and that was sort of their default because, because of the Brokeback thing, whereas this movie showed up in already a very cluttered, like we already knew Moonlight and La La Land in Manchester, and then Lion came along, and it wasn't something that was like, wow, here's something that's on a totally different level that's going to just push these guys off the playing field. And it didn't do that. But it did have more momentum, like you said, and it seems like it's it's Weinstein's big shot. of some, And they some put people. everything behind it, but they have a good movie. In other words, you know, Garth, I like I liked Lion, too, because 
it, it introduced a new director that we weren't familiar with. I mean, we may have seen what Garth Davis could do on top of the lake, but this is a major director now. You know, he is on his way. He's going to go places. And uh, and I think, you know, that's always exciting. And it's exciting to see Dev Patel dig into something a little more meaty than he's ever had to deal with before. So having said all that, it does, does the movie have any shot of actually winning something, considering all the I, categories? I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, there could be a surprise in the cinematography category. I mean, the the uh, ASC they went with um, with the, the the cinematographer of Lion over uh, Linus Sandgren from La La Land. Yeah, so that's that very was a, interesting. that was a bit of a surprise. I do think. I mean, if you, it's an incredibly well shot movie. Lion, the first forty five minutes or whatever it is that, that take Impeccable. place in the childhood, it's like a neo realist thing. I mean, I agree. It's doing something different than La La Land, so it's a question of you know what's your you pick well, your fancy. Well, Pete Hammond in that conversation that we all did on YouTube that was on YouTube uh, with the four Oscar predictors, he made a good point, which is that we just don't know if the Oscar voters are just going to check all the Ella, La La Land boxes, you know, on the ballot and just go down and give it everything. Yeah. You know, sort of the way they did with Mad Max, except for best picture and director when they got to it. So I would say, I would say that you could um, assume that, that it will be La La Land in a lot of the craft categories, but not all of them. I mean, I think, I think, I think it's possible that you could get um, Manchester and Moonlight winning the two screenplay categories, for example. Right, I, that that one's really interesting too because this, in the screenplay categories, it's like that's the one that allows both of those guys to go home happy no matter what else happened. But exactly. something could throw it off. And I feel like people would want that to happen. I might be wrong, but I think they would. In other words, Chazelle's going to win enough. You know, he's <laughs> going to go up to the podium plenty of times. He can, as he can rest easy. Whereas He'll something like in picture in all likelihood. So, so what are some of the other aspects here that we're, we're not talking about? I mean, there, there are so many movies really in contention that somebody's going to go home empty-handed. You have stuff like Hacksaw. You have uh, Arrival. You might sound mixing. For sound, Hacksaw not Ridge. Not sound mixing, sound editing. Sound yeah. editing. Those, I mean, those movies. That, that, sound mixing goes to La La Land for right. the musical. I mean, it, th those categories are always interesting because every now and then they go to, you know, a blatantly terrible movie, right? Like some blockbuster that nobody actually liked, but the craftsmanship behind that. Oh, they side gave of it. you know Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, best costume one year. I always got a kick out of that. You know, right. um, there could be there could be some. I I honestly think that La La Land will get a lot of those, but you could have production design go to Arrival, for example, um, something like that. So what else is there, going on in the film world right now, Anne? Are we just thinking about Oscars all the time? I there's feel like Berlin, <laughs> where you sent David Ehrlich, and there seems to be a lot of a lot of acquisitions coming out of Berlin. Yeah, um, Sony, Sony Pictures, Pictures Classes Class just bought something. Up a, a new movie. Yeah, it was uh, Un Mujer Fantastica, a fantastic woman from Sebastian Lelio, who did Gloria a few years ago, Paulina Garcia, and that was a Berlin premiere. That's a good sign, I think. He's a really fascinating Chilean filmmaker. It's produced by the, the Fabula guys who do, do Pablo Lorraine's films. And uh, she's like a really interesting filmmaker who does these very tender, intimate portraits. And, um, you know, the fact that Sony Classics bought it, I think, signals that they see some potential there. And I'd be shocked if he made a really bad movie. 
So, you know, they bought a separation out of the Berlin Film Festival when that was in competition. Nobody was really talking about a separation. The Berlin competition doesn't generate the same kind of attention around movies, but if distributors are paying attention, they'll find stuff in a slightly less competitive marketplace than a can or a it's Sundance. It's in their interest to do that now because it'll save them money in the long run. Yeah, I mean, last if, year, if, a Fire if, at Sea was in competition at Berlin. So, you know, it's true. I mean, if that movie had been at Cannes, it probably even that would have been uh, something that could have generated more heat and, and more higher demands and all that kind of stuff. But uh, But I also think, you know, the thing that's intriguing about Berlin is that just as often you can find a lot of really bad movies, it's more kind of like the happy medium between smaller European festivals and a massive monstrosity like Cannes in the sense that there's there's so much there. And stuff that gets rejected uh, from other festivals a lot of times winds up in different kinds of sections at Berlin. And so it's, it's just, it's kind of, it's very hit or miss. But as a result, by really looking at the lineup, you can wind up finding all these different discoveries and, and things like that. And also filmmakers who, you know, may not always rank on the can level or make that cut, but somehow benefit from being in, in Berlin in competition, like Hong sang Su, who's got another movie there, people like that. So it's definitely worth paying attention to this festival. It's also worth paying attention to what's going on at EFM, the, the European film market, because there's a lot of people in the industry who go to some place like Berlin and they don't even watch movies. They're just showing clips of things and, you know, making pre-sales and stuff like that. And so it's really hard to tell exactly how much influence it has, but there's definitely major projects that go there. So, you know, that's, oh, that's happening. Oh, by the way, uh, Isabelle Huppert talked a little bit about her next movie called Happy Days, I think, with... Um... Uh, uh, which is Michael Haneke's next movie, which will probably be in Cannes. Another Sony classic pickup. Uh, something as to heard. look forward yeah. to. That, that's definitely something to look forward to. I mean, that's the thing. Haneke's one of the only people to win the Palme d'Or for consecutive films. I believe the Dardenne brothers are the other ones. And uh, he's just one of those people where, you know, he's, He's in his 70s and he's been making movies for a long time, but he's, he's so, so good. he's just so meticulous about what he does. I mean, it's it's uh, there's always a reason to be excited about something like that. Agreed. So all this time, and we haven't talked about Lego Batman. We haven't talked about Fifty Shades of whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> Thank I God. I do want to see Lego Batman. I do want to see Lego Batman. Reviews. It looks funny. It, it totally looks like the kind of thing I will happily buy a ticket to because that's just sort of. The irony of this job is that, you know, I, I rarely end up going to see a movie in a theater like a, a normal person, but <laughs> I'm happy for the excuse for something like that. It sounds like a blast. Fifty Shades, I don't know. I, I really hated the first one. I thought it was just everything <laughs> that's wrong with our culture. The first one was made by a woman. This one's made by a man, Jamie Foley. So I am who I like, by the way. I, I think he's a good director, but I want to see what he did. You know, I'm curious. I, is that, that's the kind of material you have to like meet it halfway you know if you're on the wavelength maybe from the get-go it'll help you out a little bit I mean the thing is the, the source material is so badly written I mean it's fan fiction uh based on Twilight so it's like you know you really have to go the extra mile to improve the material so I feel like that from a filmmaking standpoint it's an interesting creative challenge it's not one that I'm particularly excited to check out but if you see it and say it's worthwhile then I'll, I'll think it over <laughs> We'll split up duties. I, 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 will, uh, I will hopefully check it out. But we did see a few films. So I saw in uh, Toronto, um, United Kingdom, 
starring David Ayelowo and Rosamund Pike of Gone Girl fame. And it's a very strange uh, true story period um, that I, I never quite related to. And Fox Searchlight picked it up um, and I, 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 I think they were feeling loyalty to the filmmaker because she is the one who made um, that other period biopic, which the name of which is eluding me. Um, uh, you know what I mean. It's with Gugu Mbatha Raw. Yes, Bell. Bell. So Bell. So this is the same uh, filmmaker. Her name is is Bella Sante. And I think she's a capable filmmaker, but this particular Amo movie right. just gets gets lost in 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 the weeds. It's just one of those things that it doesn't look quite right. It doesn't move quite right. It has a stilted sort of uh, uh, quality to it, almost like she didn't have a big enough budget to to sort of sing with with it. Uh, yeah, I, I I I'm looking forward to. I think that Fox wants to be in business with her, and I'm looking forward to seeing what she does next. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I'm sort of curious to know exactly what they expected from that movie, but if it's just getting into business with a filmmaker, that that would explain the the choice. So I saw John Wick Chapter Two, which is exactly as advertised. It's <laughs> John Wick Chapter Two. Yeah, you totally should. It's so much fun. I mean, it's like in in the pantheon of these like hyper violent action fantasies. It's like better than the Raid Two not quite on Kill Bill Volume 2 level. Like, there's this, like, universe you can build where, like, anything can happen, but it's all based around kind of the cult of personality. You know, in this case, like, Keanu Reeves speaking in a whispery voice and, like, killing what looks like, you know, a gazillion different people in all sorts of amazing different ways. Oh, and doing, but, but beautifully shot with a, f- a finale that is basically a long homage to the lady from Shanghai with this Hall of Mirrors thing. Really? It's visually I astonishing. I mean, it's, it's all neons, and there's this great shootout sequence with uh, uh, Common that's, like, basically physical comedy, the way they chase each other through these corridors, and then they wind up at this bar... And then they stop and have a drink together and then they keep fighting. It's like, it's so <laughs> ridiculous, but it's it's not trying to be. I mean, it's there's just something astonishing about the whole uh, conception of this series. And that first movie was not, it was a surprise to people. I mean, they world premiered at Fantastic Fest. I remember seeing it thinking, you know, it's just Keanu Reeves has not had a great run lately. Who knows? And it was surprisingly really entertaining. And then it became a big hit. And now they have a franchise. I mean, this movie ends with a really cool cliffhanger. It, they're going to just keep writing it out. And it's a nice renaissance of sorts for Keanu. I think it brings back some of that oh, Matrix appeal. Him. Oh, no, you're selling me. I like that kind of movie. I will totally I will totally go see it. But you know what the truth of the matter is? Even though you know we're winding down the Oscar award season, we are winding up the Emmy award season never stops (laughs) given the chance you know i find myself catching up with taboo which i love oh my god it is so great well i know you're a you're a tom hardy fangirl so i am a tom hardy fangirl this is true but i'm also uh, a fan of this kind of moody incredibly it, it it belongs in the same category as something like peaky blinders which he was involved with also 
and Stephen Knight is his go-to writer in this. In he wrote that, and he wrote this, and then you have uh, something like the Steven Soderbergh, um, Clive Owen series set in Nick in the hospital. The, the Nick, Nick, right? You know, so it's that old period. Incredible costumes, incredible sets, incredible goriness and violence, and and you know. Uh, this one is is great. I I, I highly recommend. I, I highly that's the one I'm watching right now. Well, I just finished Along watching the Young Pope. Uh, oh, the Young Pope. I gotta get I gotta get into that. Sorrentino. I I just finished Atlanta, which really blew me away. So uh, I have to catch up with that. Finally, yeah, exactly. It's it's funny how it's like as many movies as we watch, there will always be an endless amount of TV that we will never fully be able to watch. I tend so. to do a sampling <laughs> thing where I check out the first episode and I sort of decide whether I like it or not, and then I go back to it or I don't go back to it. But at least I know you know what I what I want to go back to. Finally. It's good to have a system. So next week we'll be one week away from the finish line it's kind of crazy to think about it and we'll have some some more developments in order in terms of different things that have happened in different contests and so forth but hopefully nothing will completely change the game at this point because as, as you said i think we're ready to just sort of coast along to the finish line but anything's possible right Anne? <laughs> have some fun in the snow eric With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.